0: Welcome aboard. Time to grab that board. Swim out into the sea of ideas and see if you can catch a wave. It's just starting to curl up over the horizon here in Southern California. We call it the sales pipeline. And the man who rides it each and every day from uh, morning till uh, dusk is Matt Hines.
1: Paul, I will be joining you in sunny, hopefully sunny Southern California later this month. Really? Uh, my uh, yes, my my Washington Huskies uh, are headed to the oh, Rose Bowl yeah, for the first right. time in 18 years. Yeah, right. Uh, they're going to play the Ohio State Buckeyes, and so I shouldn't be
0: that I team, both, but that's okay. All right, know, we won't go there. We
1: can. It, it's uh, <laughs> we can both root against the same team. Yeah, on exactly. Day. Exactly. So uh, no, I, I'm I'm super excited. We're uh, we're going to go down um, and spend a uh, spend a week in San Diego where my wife is from and then i'm just gonna head up with a buddy for the day to pasadena and uh hoping for good weather and um
0: you know i think there's some stat on this but it seems like because right now it's pouring rain it's miserable here but when that rose bowl happens i don't think maybe i'm wrong but i don't think it's ever i mean like ever in a hundred years rained on that day it's rained the day before it's rained in the morning or whatever but it's never rained during the rose bowl i don't think if it is it's rare
1: well, let's keep that streak alive. lot. Yeah. That sounds like a great uh, experience. And regardless, I will be in full on purple and gold uh, watching the game. So excited for that. Well, wow. thanks everyone for joining
0: us. Well, you could be a Laker but, fan, then too, purple and gold here. Or no, no, no.
1: See, you took it too far. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Can't be. For a variety of reasons, uh, we're still waiting for our Sonics to come back. Okay. The, uh, that's a whole nother story, a whole nother episode. Well, let's get going on Sales Pipeline Radio. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, we are here every Thursday live at eleven thirty Pacific, two thirty Eastern. For those of you joining us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks for joining us while working, while in the car, while getting stuff done here. At the beginning of December. If you're joining us through the podcast, thanks so much for subscribing. Our numbers continue to climb as we get more and more great guests uh, who are joining us, sharing about sales and marketing. And every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio is available past, present, and future at salespipelineradio.com. We are featuring every week. Some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing today is absolutely no exception. So excited to have with us today. This is a repeat guest. We had him on, Paul, 22 months ago, as he reminded me earlier this week. Um,
0: he reminded yeah, David, me too, so I made quite an impression on him here, I'm telling uh, you
1: Apparently, he <laughs> agreed to do it again, we didn't screw it up the first time, so here he is again, David Premer. I think, um, David, when you were here before, uh, I'm trying to think, I think you had not yet started your new business I think you were still a uh, VP of Sales at Influitive, where you were after a long career at a new number of sales organizations including at Salesforce.com, but today David Premer is the Founder and Chief Sales Scientist at CerebralSelling.com David, thanks so much for joining us
2: Oh my pleasure, Matt. Great to be back. Twenty-two months is bl- too, long.
1: too long. Well, it's it's a long time, especially in in sales and in B2B, and I think the you know the uh, the dog years, so to speak, of of SaaS selling. Uh, I don't know. It's a couple decades. It feels like that was that was a long <laughs> time ago. But uh, give us a little update. You were, I think, you did join us last time. You were the VP of Sales at Influitive, talking about building the advocacy platform that. That uh, you know the the foundation you built there from a sales standpoint continues to grow. Talk about what you've been doing since, and a little bit about uh, cerebral selling.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, so uh, would I be correct in assuming, Matt, that a lot of the listeners here today are, are salespeople or in
1: sales? Yes. Well, we've got
0: either we've got that or Huskies fans. fans. We have a lot of Husky fans that tune Husky in for some fans. crazy reason. I don't know why.
1: Because of the keywords. Uh, but no, we got a lot of. It's a good mix. We've got B two B sales. We've got B two B marketing. We've got people that care about revenue responsibility is generally our audience.
2: No, that's good. That's good. Well, look. So here, the quick story is like I'm a man on a bit of a mission here. So for for most of us who have gotten into sales over the years, I'm willing to bet, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners fall into this category, most of us got here by accident, meaning we did not intend to get into sales. We went to school for something else because, you know, they don't really teach sales in school, and we ended up in sales by accident. And and I was no exception. I uh, I ended up getting to sales by accident. I started my career as a research scientist and then spent the next 20 years kind of just being really obsessed with sales. I, I couldn't believe this was a thing that you could actually do. It was so much fun, there was so much learning, and as a, as a scientist, I was always very, very curious. And so after 20 years, I kind of had this moment of reckoning where I said, you know what? I love sales so much, but I got into it by accident, and it kind of bothers me. This is kind of going back to the, I would take a page from Dan Pink's book, To Sell as Human, where he had this amazing uh, word, uh, word cloud where he asked people, you know, when I say the word sales or selling, what's the first word that comes to mind? And he found that 80% of the words had a very strong negative visceral connotation. And I started thinking about that. And I said, this is, this is my love. This is my calling. This is the profession that I got into by accident and, and continue to love. And it bothered me that there were so many people out there that were kind of doing it wrong enough to create that negative impression. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I want to kind of go back to my, my science roots. I want to take all of the, the things that I've learned about sales from just being very curious over the years and bundle it into kind of a new um, whether you call it a selling system or a platform or methodology called cerebral selling. And so that's uh, that's what I've been doing for last year or so.
1: I love it. And for those that don't know David's background, I mean, he's been running sale, everything from sales operations, sales engineering through to you know running sales organizations for a wide variety of companies. But I think part of the cerebral selling and the science of selling comes from your education background. So this is a guy we're talking to who has a, a bachelor's with distinction. In chemistry and atmospheric science science, as well as a master's in chemical engineering so for those that you that that weren't listening 22 months ago can you talk a little bit about how you make a a hard right transition from you know (laughs) a master's in 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 chemical engineering into sales and then talk a little bit about this well let's let's do that first let's talk about how that happened
2: yeah no for sure so so i was doing my graduate work at the kind of the turn of the uh, the millennium so to speak 1999 and this was kind of during the dot com boom when a lot of tech companies just started hiring general purpose, you know, educated people to, you know, to kind of be in sales. And so I ended up joining a startup um, as a solution engineer. So shout out to all of the solution engineers out there. Um, I was a coder, you know, I like to give presentations and teach. And so it was kind of a natural fit. And that was my foray. And I did that for, for eight years at that startup. Uh, we ended up IPOing three years into the business, and then we were acquired by a company called Infor, which uh, pe- a lot of people probably heard of, um, but seven years later. So that was my foray into sales, and I started out on the, the solution side because I'm like, oh, you know, to, to be an account executive, that's like a that's like a hardcore sales job with a lot of risk, and, you know, I didn't really need – I was like, ah, I'll, I'll forgo the big paycheck in favor of, uh, of kind of doing what I love, but um, kind of as I got kind of bitten by the startup bug, so as it were – um, I, I just got hooked, and so I ended up doing four startups uh, over the course of my career and the third one was acquired by Salesforce, which is how I kind of came over with the ship and That was my graceful transition um, into the sales world but uh, i 'll tell you what i 've realized now and, and kind of why I love sales so much is that like anything else, like so if you think about like science there 's scientific systems, whether it 's you know the the water table or you know meteorology me- meteorological systems. And they're all based on certain amounts of rules, but those systems do tend to change over time. And if you're kind of an astute observer, you can see when those systems change. And certainly over the course of the last 20 years, the world of sales has changed quite a lot. And so I just love applying kind of the lens of the, the curiosity, the why, to, uh, to the world of sales. And so uh, I just love seeing it evolve, and that's kind of how I harmonize these, uh, these two worlds.
1: I love that. I think, you know, there. this is changing, of course, but there, you know, traditionally have not been a lot of um, educational uh, paths in sales. We're starting to seal some sales certificate programs and some sales uh, management and sales mastery programs in higher education. But, you know, I think when you think about the people that tend to get into sales, it's a different brain set, right? I mean, it's left brain versus right brain. And that scientific approach to selling, um, I would I would argue, is in the minority. I would also say in the follow-up question I was going to ask you before is around, you know just the connotation of science in selling. I think you've got a lot of folks that believe that are in sales, that sales is an art, Uh, that if you put science behind it, then you lose uh, what works on the periphery to build relationships and rapport, and you lose the uniqueness that each individual selling opportunity requires. But knowing your work and seeing the work that you write, I know that it's it's really, it's not one or the other, it's a combination of both. But talk a little bit from the science side, how that really does help sellers and and then marketers listening as well differentiate their work and impact
2: For sure, well where I kind of see the the art and the science uh, meeting, where the bridge occurs, is actually in a concept I call the why, and I'm not like the Simon Sinek why, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan It's this idea that when you use a sales tactic, and there's a million sales tactics out there, it could be a prospecting a pitching, a messaging, whatever it is there's a million tactics, and when you use one of those tactics in a certain situation with a certain kind of customer or buyer, it will have a certain kind of impact. Maybe they love it, maybe they hate it, maybe they think you're the best, or they think you're sleazy, or maybe it worked on customer A but not on customer B. And you're sitting there, and you're kind of all perplexed, and you're saying to yourself, well, why did that happen? And the problem is that most sellers, regardless of the tactics that they use, they don't ask why. They don't really want to understand why the tactics worked or didn't. They want the list. Show me the list of the five things I'm supposed to say, so, and then, you know, it'll, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. That's not the case. And so how I see art and science meshing is this idea of the why. So, you know, like as an example I give, when you're trying to describe what you do, if I say, you know, Matt, what do you do? And it's a question we get asked all the time, especially in, our, in the kind of the tech world, what do you do? You know, the, the, there are different ways that you can use to explain scientifically what you do. So, so, so principles based in polarization, uh, based in conviction, based in creating contrast. And all of these things serve the purpose of helping your buyer quickly, very quickly, because they, no one has attention these days, understand what you do. That's the science, right? So I can teach, you know, the science of, of selling in that way. But if you deliver a particular pitch, that is, let's say, polarizing or uses a heavy dose of contrast or emotion, but you do it in a way that made the customer uncomfortable, or you didn't do it with enough enthusiasm, then it's not going to work. So this idea of science, kind of knowing what to do, and arts, kind of knowing you know, how to do it, get together, and they intersect again at the why, which is really kind of that question we should all be asking in sales and marketing. is like, why is this stuff working? Why is it not? And that's kind of how I see these two things meshing.
1: Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with David Primer. He is the founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling. Uh, Highly encourage you to check out cerebralselling.com in addition to some great resources and tons of great content he produces on a regular basis. Especially if you know and have worked with David in the past, please do yourself a favor and go to the homepage and find this fantastic picture. Of of David, with basically the same style of hair, but about five times the volume, as a research scientist and engineer at the beginning of his of his career, Uh, I I love it. And I, I think your your story around training, around science and empathy, and combining those two together is is unique, and I think super welcome. You know, we're recording this uh, this episode here, beginning of December. We're looking at you know beginning of a new year coming up. Lots of sales kickoffs coming. How should people, and I know you do a lot of sales kickoffs and a lot of works with you know, teams as they're sort of thinking about their new sales year as well, but how, how does this manifest itself in training? How do you train effectively and then reinforce the combination of science and empathy in sales? Yeah,
2: oh, that's a good question. You know, one of the things, and I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, trying to figure out how I optimize this in my business, but, you know, we're all familiar and like you said, I've been a VP of sales a number of times and, and brought in sales trainers and, and oftentimes when you kind of have the kickoff, you bring in the person to talk at the kickoff and however long they spend there, uh, you know, hopefully it's good, it pumps the team up. But then most of us just kind of go back to our desk and do mostly what we were doing before. And so the idea is how do we drive that, you know, ongoing reinforcement? So, you know, what I try to do with most of my clients is actually set up my engagements where I'll come back. For small periods of time, on a more frequent basis, to help reinforce. Um, but you know, part of it is the content strategy. You know, the, the 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 videos. I produce a lot of videos on my YouTube channel, and certainly a lot of articles on my website. Um, and I give all those away for free. Uh, be, you know, even if you're not one of my my uh, my clients, because I you know I want the sales profession to get better, um, but also to help you know provide that reinforcement. A lot of it, and I would kind of you know put this out to all the leaders out there. A lot of it has to do with the leadership. Right? So I come in, You know, I can help pump the team up, and you know, if we engage multiple times, I can help reinforce. But my, one of the things I do focus on a lot is really enabling the leaders in the organizations that I work with to continue uh, the education and continue the accountability, as it were, for that education so that we don't let people off the hook, we're continuing to reinforce the concepts, and uh, a lot of it just comes down to that, uh, that, that leadership element.
1: Love it. We're going to have to take a quick break and pay some bills. We'll be back right after this with some more with David Primer talking about the integration of science and empathy in B2B sales and marketing. We'll be right back. This is Sales Pipeline Radio. The way we do business is advancing faster than ever before. Yet amongst the disruptions, there's one pillar that stays standing through it all. The power of a relationship. Relationships are at the core of everything. So, how are today's organizations developing, nurturing, and leveraging them to drive success? Download the new research report on the state of relationship marketing and learn how your team can bridge the gaps between relationships and revenue. Download your free report at HeinzMarketing.com. That's H E I N Z Marketing.com.
0: And after you do that, we want you to just sit back and ask yourself one question. Are you tired of sending sales emails and wondering if anybody even opened them? Well, if so, you're not alone. There's a company out there that can help. They're called MailTag. It's a Chrome browser extension for your Gmail that allows you to track all your emails in real time. You receive alerts right on your desktop as soon as your emails are read. Imagine that. And it's your special thank you for being a listener of this show. We've teamed up with MailTag to provide you guys with a special discount on a subscription. So ready? Get your pen. Write this down. It's a simple word. Heinz. Heinz. H-E-I-N-Z. Put that in and you get 50% off for life. Forever. So be sure and check out MailTag.io to learn more. And if you just want to try a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. Give it a shot. MailTag.io. What do you got to lose except your doubts? (laughs) All right, I have no doubt that this conversation will continue to be interesting and I just want to point out that he's not the only one with an advanced degree. He had a degree uh with extinct uh, with distinction. My degree was in extinction.
1: Extinction. Uh, I don't know if that uh, matters. Well, but. that you know, you were doing great on transitions <laughs> until that point. Then just, I, I fumbled a little bit there, there. Uh, but thank you. I graduated you with for, extinction.
0: Uh, yes, exactly. Once yeah, I left, it no, was over. I want over. to
1: give another shout out for our sponsor MailTag. They've been great, uh, great partner of ours here on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you are used, especially if you are in sales. if you're not in sales, if you if you're in sales, if you're in marketing your business development, if you care about tracking your emails, scheduling your emails, I did a blog post earlier this week, uh, Paul, on on just you know trying to not send emails nights and weekends and some. Sometimes, you know, you're working at night, you're getting something across, you want to send it out, you want to get it off your plate, but we actually stress people out when we send emails, sometimes nights and weekends, and it's yeah. less likely to get noticed. So tool like MailTag, if you are using Chrome and sending emails at all, I highly encourage checking this out as a great way to improve your usage of email. I want to continue our conversation now with David Primer. He's the founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling. You can check out him and check out a lot of his content uh, and a lot of his other resources, videos, podcasts. Uh, uh, other content he's created on cerebralselling.com. I want to I bring in the marketing side of this, because we're talking about the science and empathy in selling. And I don't, you know, it, how do you create alignment between sales and marketing on this? When you're doing training and you're working with clients, how often is marketing in the room? Uh, and if they are, how do they get incorporated into this philosophy?
2: For sure. I mean, I, I think about it a couple ways. So so first of all, the good news is when I do my engagements, I don't charge. Maybe this is stupider, the smartest thing ever, but I don't charge based on the person. So I invite anyone at the organization to participate, um, but also because I, be, I do believe there's this thing that I call the message supply chain. And it starts, let's say, at marketing and continues to sales, but continues all the way through to customer success and so on. So the, the challenge oftentimes is that when you go into an organization, and I look at the marketing team and I say, what do we do right and i listen to what they say and then i go to sales and i say well, what do we do and then customer success all the messages are different even within that the, the groups all the messages are different so one of the ways i kind of see marketing fitting into this is being a part of that messaging supply chain and helping to distill out that message and taking what they've learned as far as their you know their marketing prowess and injecting that into the kind of the sales motion and then and then you know but downstream you know, injecting that into the CS motion, because one of the big challenges as well is that as salespeople, we like to say stuff, and then when a customer buys what we have, and then, you know, they unshrink wrap it, and they're working with our customer success team, and CS says, oh, what did sales tell you we did? No, we don't do that, right? Then it breaks the chain. And so I think it all starts at marketing. That's, you know, what I would say is the, uh, the first piece. The, um, the second piece I think about is, you know, around in, in marketing, a lot of organizations, I know from what you've seen that a lot of organizations from what I've seen, um, how is the, the BDR or SDR kind of sales development function uh, within the marketing org? Is that what you've seen?
1: I've seen it in both places. I mean, I think smart marketers want to own sales enablement so they can sort of embrace a bigger part of revenue responsibility. Uh, I've seen it successfully work in both places, though.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so a, a lot of that kind of tip of the spear messaging, when someone says, you know, what is it we do? And a customer says, well, say, so tell me a little bit more about the product. That often falls on the BDR function. And, you know, in a way, so marketing is, is in oftentimes responsible for that. And I, I feel it's kind of weird, but also normal that we take our youngest and, and least experienced kind of sellers and marketers, and we kind of strap them to the front of the locomotive on that, on that BDR and SDR front and, and put them in marketing. And so, you know, where I kind of see the kind of the sales and marketing mesh as it relates to, you know, what I talk about is how do you help those frontline sellers, the marketers who are kind of creating the copy, you know, putting out the webinars to the frontline kind of BDRs, SDRs that are talking to customers first and foremost, who are le- younger and less experienced and more arm's length, how do you help them deliver your message with tremendous conviction? And conviction, I'm a big fan of selling feelings over, you know, features. And conviction is one of those feelings. So I I feel like those are two great points of intersection, like that messaging supply chain and and kind of, you know, arming the the, kind of the front line, uh, if you call them kind of qualification uh, reps with, uh, with high conviction messaging that allow them to convert.
1: Well, and you're speaking a little bit to the requirement of sort of an integrated approach across these different these different channels. So it's not just sales and marketing. You know, marketing alone, you know, sometimes breaks up into silos where you have your content team, your email team, your social team. If they own sales enablement, it may be a separate team, and it's really easy for organizations to work there in silos. And sales can be similar, where you know you might have an SDR function, you know, that's sending opportunities to a field sales team. Direct and channel sales teams are separate. How do you ensure or as as best you can, a consistent approach across all those different people in a more of a sort of matrixed organization.
2: Well, I'll tell you, like, here, here's my, my, my little cheat. Um, it's very easy to get caught up in features and functions. And, and to your point, you mentioned earlier about oftentimes when the enablement function and marketing wanting to have a little bit more of that enablement responsibility, as you mentioned, a lot of times what that entails is product. Knowledge and so marketing is responsible for distilling out product knowledge and training the team on that. But the thing that's more powerful, as I alluded to earlier, than than just products and features is emotions and feelings. And this always reminds me of you, you, you ever watch Seinfeld? The show Seinfeld, Matt?
1: Oh sure. All
2: right. So remember there was an episode with uh, George Costanza and Jerry, and Jerry's girlfriend was accusing him of watching uh, Melrose Place. Oh, you're watching Melrose Place, and she happened to be a cop, and he was denying it. He's like, oh, I don't watch Melrose Place. And for those of you who are the younger viewers, this
1: was a, you know, I don't know, how would you describe Trashier kind of show. Well, it was, a, it was sort of a Beverly Hills 90210 spinoff.
2: <laughs> it was. That's right, yeah. It was, you know, a, a guilty pleasure for a certain demographic to watch this show. Uh, but, you know, a lot of men would, would deny ever watching it, so he did. And so uh, his girlfriend was a police officer and said, well, you know, if, if you're telling the truth, you wouldn't mind taking a lie detector test. So he, <laughs> she orchestrates this whole big lie detector test. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. 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 So she orchestrates this lie detector test. And so Jerry, who's going to have to lie, asks his friend George to stand and says, you know, George, you're the, the best liar I know. How do I beat this thing? <laughs> and w- you remember what, what did George say? I don't remember. <laughs> he, said, he said, it's not a lie if you believe it, Jerry. <laughs> and, and, and you know, all these years later, I find that that is 100 percent relevant to the, the modern world of sales and marketing, which is people buy feelings first and foremost, whether it's, you know, um, safety or security or belonging or the future vision of their self, everything that we buy from the, 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 the lunch at food court. To you know the, the clothes that we wear and the products we you know whether it's a Tesla or an iPhone we all buy based on feelings and so one of the easiest ways kind of bringing it back home to unite a group of people around a product or solution message is around that feeling because feelings are very easy to remember they're very easy to retell right and they produce that very visceral reaction in our customers and so when I think about how you kind of you know you arm your sales team and and your marketing team. Coming back to that vision of feeling, which will be more consistent and won't really change as you develop new products and services and, you know, you kind of, you know new features and benefits, that stays the same. And I feel like the best organizations are the ones that go out and arm their field team with feelings rather than features and functions.
1: Love it. We're wrapping up here just a couple more minutes with David Primer. Check him out for sure at cerebralselling.com. We'll put links into his website and some of his content in the show notes for this podcast. But last question for you, David. If you could think back in your career and the different steps you've made and sort of the advances you've made, uh, who are some of the people that have been most influential for you? You know, they could be people, they could be authors, they could be managers, they could be alive or dead. They could be, you know, they could be they've written 500 years ago. But who are some of the people you might recommend other people seek out or check out or read that have been influential for you?
2: For sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll name both. So um, I do have a, a blog post on my website called my top sales reads and interestingly enough most of my top sales reads are not specific sales books um some big simon sinek fan um you know and and in fact his favorite book that he wrote is called leaders eat last not not to start with wild that's a great book Uh, leaders eat last because you know as as leaders and i hope many of you are, are leaders out there or aspiring leaders who are looking to kind of be that force multiplier for your team, because great leadership can be a huge force multiplier. He does an amazing job in that book of breaking down the science and, uh, you know, kind of sociology of leadership, and he makes it really um, codified and repeatable. So I love um, all of Simon Sinek's content. And, and I would say, you know, and this might just be my personal predisposition to the leaders I've, you know, worked with over the years, the leaders that I love the most, and this is an interesting exercise If you know, people who are listening, just think about the, the, the manager, the boss, the leader who you love the most in your career, and what did you love about them? Um, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the thing that comes and rises to the top is this one theme of caring. They cared about me personally, they pushed me to be the best version of myself and i 've been really lucky over my career to have a number of leaders that that all possessed that that sentiment where I really felt they cared about me and they got the most out of me and there was a, a really an interesting article in uh, in Harvard Business that talked about this idea of can you need to be a likable leader uh, to kind of help people along their journey and they It was like thousands of leaders that they interviewed, and they found that out of the thousands of leaders that they that they surveyed and interviewed, there was only a fraction i think less than you know uh, you know, a fraction of a percent that were on the, the upper quadrant of, of, uh, of, uh, pr- of uh, um, efficiency, of effectiveness, and on the lower quadrant of likability. So the take-home message is, is that if you are a leader, learn not in saying how to be likable, really invest in your team, care about them, go read Simon Sinek, I'm a big fan, um, and then certainly try to be that kind of leader that your team would fight to work with again. That's my best advice.
1: Love it. We've got sales, marketing, and leadership advice today from David Primer. If you like his message and his story, definitely share this episode with those on your team, those in your network. You can find it on demand here in a couple days up at SalesPipelineRadio.com with all of our past episodes. We are unfortunately out of time, but we'll be here again next week at 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern as well as on SalesPipelineRadio.com. For my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks so much for joining us for another great episode of Sales Pipeline Radio.
0: You've been listening to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio brought to you by the good folks at Mannheim's Marketing right here on the Funnel Radio channel.